Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to the final Davis Garcia pre-fight edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney. We've got a special one here for you on Big Fight Morning. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed our special interview with Joe Goosen that we posted on Friday. If you haven't checked that one out, you are going to want to listen to that. That was terrific. And in that vein, we've got another one for you. Andre S.O.G. Ward, the former super middleweight and light heavyweight champion, sat down with us for the best part of a half hour here in the media room, and it's an absolutely terrific interview. Nothing else to say. We'll just go right into it. Andre Ward. Our next guest is a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. He is a former super middleweight and light heavyweight champion. He is the subject of a new documentary that will be coming out on Showtime, premiering on June 2nd, S.O.G., The Book of Ward. You haven't guessed it by now. Surely you have. Surely you can figure it out from that. It is Andre SOG Board. Andre, thanks so much for joining us, man. Man, I'm happy to be here with you guys again. So when we chatted with you at the Hall of Fame, I remember you saying you were excited for the documentary to come out. You were excited for everyone to see it. People aren't going to believe some of the, the twists in your story and some of the things this documentary reveals. Now it's close. Now it's about six yeah. weeks away. There's no turning back. <laughs> <laughs> What's the excitement level for people to finally see this thing? I mean, I'm just happy that... Uh, First and foremost, I kept my, my word to my wife because this, this like started off like just being a vision, right? And I like dumped like six figures into the production, mm. getting interviews and travel and a production team before we even sold it. So we're like, you know, three or four years into the problem. Like, trust me, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get that back. Like, right. just, just stick with me. <laughs> we did. We got it back and some. So I'm happy about that first and foremost. But, man, it, this, this, this whole process with the doc was therapeutic for me. Um, I think that, um, you know, when the, when the world first saw me in 2004, you know, I was fresh off the streets, man, had just given my life to God. I was trying to clean my life up, trying to figure things out. And I had studied the sport as a young fighter, and I didn't want to come in with the normal story. My parents were on drugs. I was struggling. I, I just kind of felt like, and, and I didn't even have the green light to share their story yet. Mm. And I wasn't ready. I wanted just the media and the fans to embrace me for who I was. And but I knew in the back of my mind that I'm going to probably tell the story one day and I want it to be in my words. That day is here. Uh, it is a little scary, you know, to to pull back the cover mm-hmm. uh, in depth the way that we have. But it was necessary, man, because it gets to a certain point where now you're not sharing your struggles and the things you had to overcome in your family and in your personal life. It could, it could start to become selfish mm-hmm. if you don't want to share it. And, that's, that's what pushed me to that point. I, I feel like during your career, like the broad strokes were out there. I remember there being some talk about your father's drug problems and stuff. But so was, it, was it kind of frustrating to you that people didn't know the whole story? It got to that point at a certain certain point. And, and this, I mean, for most of my career, I was content. Just like, I, you know, it's not for public consumption, you know, mm-hmm. well, at least not right now. It, it started to feel, I started to get discontent when, you know, I mentor a lot of young guys. And it would get frustrating because... They would be going through things, and I would give them the old, man, I, I know what you're going through. And they didn't really believe me. And I went to my pastor, and I was like, man, I'm like, man, I'm trying to talk to these guys. And, man, they, they don't get the fact that I didn't probably done more than them. Yeah. He's like, Dre, you got to kill the image. And I didn't get it at first. He said, no, 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 who you are is real. But it's not who you've always been. It's okay to tell that story. You got to kill that image that they have of you that you've never been through anything. So that was the catalyst in me feeling like it's time. You mentioned that it's therapeutic, but doing an autobiographical thing can be very, very hard work. Oh, my goodness. Did you find yourself, like, 
any times like okay I've peeled back this layer that's enough and then maybe you realize no that's not enough I got to pull back this layer and this layer and this layer often yeah often I I felt like I was uh, I was willing to be open initially I wouldn't have done this you know you you can't you know the 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 verbiage in in the doc space is puff piece you know you don't want to create a puff piece oh he was great a champion you got to talk about it so I knew that going in but it's amazing how naturally just in the interview process or when other people in my family were getting interviewed like it just starts to go there right so it's like all right we got that on that interview or i've said that thing now the question is do we cut that in the doc so it's like first it's do we speak about it then do we cut it in and there was some there were some challenges where there were things that i'm like i don't know and the team's like i think we need to have this and i would give in i say let's do it let's do it um but it, it, man, it's it's uh, I'm excited, man, because when I first started off with this process, I told Spring Hill and uh, Uninterrupted LeBron's company and Maverick Carter and all those guys and Showtime, like I want this to be a human interest piece. This is not just it's not a thirty for thirty or a sports doc. Like I want this to be something that a grandmother can pull something from a mother, mm-hmm. an athlete, and I think I think we nailed it. Okay. I think we nailed it. And right before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, Kieran and I uh, appear in the yeah, documentary y'all, interviewing you at the Hall yes. of Fame. It makes me a little nervous that you really didn't have that much material that, you, that, that we made the cut. <laughs> or the interview was that good. You got to ask some okay, really we'll important with, questions. We'll go with that one. Yeah, Let's we'll go, go with the latter, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the, this tattoo on your arm, Andre Ward Jr., this yeah. uh, when he was born, a.k.a. Boss Man. Yeah, my what? dad used to call him the boss because he was so big, man. He was, like a, he was huge. <laughs> and my dad used to pick him up and call him the boss and – Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Okay, from, I wasn't sure if it was like the, sometimes you have sort of that that real strong-willed kid who runs the yeah, house. It was, yeah. it, was that some part of life? A little bit, the boss that too, too. Okay. that too, a little bit. <laughs> All right, but uh, so I assume, uh, you know, your, your family is a big part of this documentary too. How, how did so. they feel about being uh, involved? They were pretty open, you know. You got to realize, like, my you know, my kids and my wife, they've been around, you know, the limelight and stuff for my kids all their life. So, and I've been around, you know, in the limelight since I've been 12, 13 years old um, as a top amateur. And so everybody was fine with it. It wasn't like a big deal to them. If anybody was, you know, Mm. going through a process, it was me. Okay. And my wife's tough, man. She's not like, even at the fights, I mean, she, she's not like one of those wives that are covering her eyes. Like she's looking up saying, hey, get up. You need to hit them back. That's my wife. So when I would bring stuff to her about, man, I don't know. She said, babe, it's, it's. You can talk about it. She's not. She's just that type of person. So they're good. Okay. They're good. My family's good. They're excited, and um, the feedback is going is interesting, man. Like I know we put out the two minute trailer today, but when people dig into it and watch the whole thing, it's going to be interesting to see the feedback. Okay. I mean, to be fair, during your career, there were far fewer moments where a relative or a wife might want to cover their eyes than yeah. there were for a lot of other <laughs> yeah. fighters. So. Yeah. Um, but one thing that you have always been open about, obviously it was there in your nickname and, and it's featured in the trailer, was your faith and how yeah. important that has been. I, I, from one of the answers you just gave, I get the impression that that wasn't necessarily always there, but that where there was a point at which you sort of reconnected with that faith. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? I like the word reconnected because that's what it was. You know, I, I had a foundation uh, in the faith. You know, my dad introduced me to my faith very early on. But but it's, it's strange because we didn't I didn't like grow up in church. I didn't like go to church every Sunday or anything like that. But we went from time to time. But my dad opened up the Bible. He would read it. And, you know, when local newspapers and, and news cameras started coming around my middle school and my high school, he said, hey, man, you make sure you give God the glory. 
and I would be like nervous and scared, like, man, I don't know how, and I'm afraid. So that foundation was there, but that was more my dad's faith. So when I went through real life, when I lost him um, in 2002, and I started dabbling in drugs and alcohol and getting in the streets, the street life, now it's real. And in that place, in that despair, I found my personal faith. And that's what this whole career has, has that's the foundation that has been built on. Um, the guy that I was before I gave my life to God, been a far different story if I'd have made it to be a professional. I wouldn't have been as successful in the ring, and I certainly would have been on the bottom of the ticker a few times outside the ring. Um, and I'm just grateful that wasn't the case. So there was always throughout your professional career a a single-mindedness about you, I think, that came across, that you knew what you wanted and you knew who you were yeah. and what you wanted to achieve yeah. that I thought came across yeah. always very strongly being around yeah. you and talking to you. And, and was that a part of it? I've always kind of been that, that type of person, though, you know, since a kid. Like, you see it in the dock where Nazim's like, man, he was, just, he was different. Mm. Like, I would go up to the coaches at 10, 11, 12 years old in the Nationals and I would be talking about, man, I saw Bernard Hopkins and he had on these kind of trunks and these kind of shoes. He's like, man, it was this kid. Mm-hmm. I've just always kind of been that kind of like focused kid. I just got off track and I was focused on other things. And then when I got back on track, it, well, it's not hard for me to, to stay focused. I, like with boxing, it's easy math for me. So I know there's guys out there that may put things in their bodies and live a certain lifestyle. I'm not judging them. They got to work that out. But from an athletic and boxing standpoint, if I don't do that, I got the advantage. Simple math. If I win my next fight, my money goes up. If I lose my next fight, my money goes down. That's simple math. Man, I got a window. I don't know how long that window is. If I give it everything I got, man, who knows as far how far I can go. But if I don't, it's going to be regret. That's simple math to me. So I just like did the mathematics and just chose to suffer and sacrifice. So, you know, I could be having a Hall of Fame conversation when all was said and done. And, and you were the one who choose, chose to close that window. Um, that I think perhaps took a lot of us by surprise. Of but course, I'm of course. Not sure how long you had been thinking about that being the time that you would close the window, or did it just come to you? I really wanted to be done two, two, three years before. Okay. Um, and, and it doesn't make sense to people when I say that because I've been I've been doing it since I was nine years old, and I gave up a childhood. I had moments when I was a kid, but really I was regimented lifestyle. And you give up a lot. You know, I was uh, like this phenom early. So my, my classmates are going to school and doing normal stuff. And I'm, where you been? I was at the Nationals. I was at the Nationals in Lenexa, Kansas, fighting for a whole week. And then I came back with this belt. You do that long enough, it starts to wear on you a little bit. Um, then you go through some battles in the sport of boxing. Outside the ring, inside the ring. The time away from your family starts to add up. You know, the wear and tear on the body starts to add up. And you just, again, start to do the math. And it's like, man, I, I don't really know. I'm looking at my account. I'm like, man, I'm good. Like, we're, we're fine. I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And I would do that periodically within that two or three year span before I retired. And my wife was like, man, babe, I don't think it's time. And I would kind of be a little frustrated. Like, man, I just, I want my freedom back. Right. And um, I knew before Cove won that that was it. Excuse me. Oh, okay. I knew before Cove 2 that that was it. Okay. And um, No matter what would have happened in that fight, win or lose, that was going to be well, it? Well, no, I, I mean, 
I had to win okay. in order to right. follow through with the plan. Okay. Because it was going to be a third fight. Okay. I didn't want to fight that dude three times and go through <laughs> right, all this seriously. three times. and, yeah. and have to, I didn't want to do it. Like, right. And if he won the second fight, it was going to justify all the stuff that I was saying in the first fight. And I had to, again, I, I, do, I do a lot of math. So I did the math. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, if I lose this fight, I got to do another training camp, another fight. It's going to justify the first fight. But I knew. The first training camp was a lot, man. It's a lot. Like, the fight almost got canceled two or three times. My knee kept swelling up. I had to modify my training. Like, it was it was terrible. Like, I, I can't believe we made it to the fight and then made it through the fight. The second fight, because I think I had made the, made the decision to walk away, man, it was the best camp that I had in my whole career. Man, I felt light. I, I had fun. It's the most fun I've had in a training camp. I didn't really feel a lot of pressure. I was sharp the whole camp. No knee issues. Like, it, it, just, it was just perfect. We fought the fight. And then I was like, well, man, maybe I won't. Like, maybe. And if I stayed around, the plan was for Tony Bellew at cruiserweight and then Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. I wasn't going to play around at, like, heavyweight and try. I beat the guy already. Um, so I started moving in that direction. And then my heart shifted again. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And then I began to pull the plug and, and undo what was in motion to start taking place. I had a, a, I think it was like a two or three fight deal on the table to sign with HBO mm-hmm. days away. And we had to undo that and pull the plug. So, yeah, man, it's, a, it's an interesting process that I went through, man. And, and, and some days I'm shocked that I stayed away and I still haven't come back. Is there any little part of you that still wonders what would have happened if you'd fought Anthony Joshua? Oh, yeah, definitely. 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 Not only is it a, a boatload of money, but the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, it's a challenge. And it's like, I went out on a high note, but can you imagine cruiser waiting in heavyweight? Mm-hmm. It's a different conversation. So I think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I have a random side topic before we transition sure. into talking about this weekend's fights. We're in Vegas. What is the deal with Las Vegas stealing all of your sports teams from Oakland? Oh, my gosh. Man, <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I'd imagine oh. that. You, are you a big A's fan? I retired. The Raiders left. <laughs> the Warriors, they're in San Francisco. Right. But for people who aren't in the Bay Area, people, they're, oh, they're just a, no. That's a big, that's big to us. Like, mm-hmm. Oakland and San Francisco is a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and now this, the A's, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. Right. I'm not happy. <laughs> and I don't know what the whole Vegas deal is. I don't know. I don't know if the land is cheap here or what. I don't the A's know. and the Raiders did not run this by you yeah. first. At all. <laughs> like, I was in disbelief when the Raiders left and in disbelief again when I'm reading the reports about the A's. I'm like, this can't. Like, they're going to figure this out. They're going to work it out. I don't think they're going to work it out. No, sounds, I think sounds the, like the agreement is binding. Yeah. We have no sports team. Or we will not have a sports team. Yeah. In Oakland. Yeah, that's crazy. Switching to this weekend's fight. Um we're talking on Friday afternoon, little under 36 hours to go. Obviously, every fighter is different. What do you think is going through these two guys' heads right now as they count down to what is the biggest fight of their career so far? They're managing nerves, right? They're managing their fears. They're reminding themselves of, of, of why they're here. You look at the, the billboards and you remind yourself that it's two guys up there that I belong. Um, and... I'm sure they're reminding themselves of, of, of what, what the consequences are going to be if they lose and come up short Saturday night financially. Uh, you know, they both got big social followings. That there's going to be a fallout there. It's just the way, it's, just the way things are. Um, you lose the bragging rights. It's a huge letdown on many levels. 
you're managing all of that while going about your, you know, all the stuff you got in your business the week of the fight. So you got you got all that pressure on you, but then you got to smile and you got to got take pictures and <laughs> yeah. you got to do the weigh-in, you got to do the press conference, um, and then you're back in your room by yourself and you're dealing with the reality that man, this is here. So it's a lot. People don't realize in a big fight, I don't care how long you've been around, you have to manage all of that. And how you manage it a week before, three days before, two days before, will determine how you how you fight Saturday night and if you win or not. It really is 90% mental, this sport, isn't it? Psychological, man, yeah. because man, you can lose a fight. You can have a great training camp, even a great week of the fight. You can lose a fight mentally on the way to the ring. Mm -hmm. The moment can just hit you, and you can become a spectator to your own event. you mm -hmm. got to remind yourself that I am the event. They're here to see me. They're here to see us, but I, they're here to see me. That's what you got to tell yourself. That helps you to stay focused and stay locked in because you can lose it. The pressure is real. So that's the, the mental and psychological side. Put on your ESPN broadcaster yeah, hat. Yeah, Let's yeah. break down the physical parts of this, the X's and O's. We've talked uh, all week leading up to this about some of, some of the flaws in Ryan Garcia, some of the, the chin uh, a, a little too available sometimes, the footwork a little too much just up and back and not as much lateral. Do you see Javante Davis and his wide array of skills just that, that Garcia is going to get caught at some point making a mistake in this fight? It's hard to not see that. Knowing what you know and knowing that everything you said was true. Footwork issues. Um, the chin being up in the air for me is the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see, when I see the open workout, when I see uh, the training that Garcia's done, and, I, you know, obviously we're not privy to everything, but when I see what I see, I don't see the adjustments being made or at least them working on it. I see him flashy with his hands. His speed is real. I think his power is real. And then I see him standing right in place looking at the trainer or looking at the heavy bag waiting to do the next combination. Mm -hmm. That's a problem with, with a guy like Javante Davis. That's a big problem. Mm -hmm. And what's more of a problem is Javante and his team, they're smarter. They don't get credit for being intelligent. It's all about the power and the raw power and Mike Tyson. Everything Javante said in the press conference the other day, that lets you know that they, they got a game plan. Mm -hmm. He said, man, you got one hand doesn't literally mean he has one hand. He means that you have one favorite punch, mm -hmm. a left hook. They've done the research. Man, when I touch your chin, he knows the chin is in the air. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to lean toward Javante going into this fight, 55, 45, 60, 40, whatever it is. The fight's not a foregone conclusion, but I think Davis is supposed to figure this out. Mm -hmm. The puzzle of Ryan Garcia, Davis is supposed to figure this out, and I think he will, but I think he's going to go through some fire to do it. Right. He may have to get off the canvas. He may get buzzed. I think both guys mm. are going to get hurt and buzzed, and somebody's going to go down in this fight, and I don't see this fight going a distance. Right. Do you, listening to you just now, I'm wondering, do you see a little bit of yourself in Tank Davis? And I mean, I'm not in the same that it says you have the same kind of style, but he does have a much higher ring IQ than I think a lot of people, yeah. you know, give him credit for. He's somebody who's kind of, he's real good on the counter. He's kind of good at luring his opponent into oh, yeah, very good. and punishing them yeah. for that kind of stuff. Good footwork. Um, a lot of subtle stuff that people don't necessarily appreciate. And that makes me think of you a little bit. I think so. I think so, but, but for different reasons. So he's known for the power. I was known for boxing ability and being slick. When in reality, like we said, Javante is, his IQ is a lot higher than we give him credit for. That's how he's able to set the power up, Right. And I didn't get credit a lot for the toughness, for the chin, and, and all that kind of stuff. So definitely same views, but different reasons. Mm -hmm. People like to 
kind of hold on to that the main thing and it's yeah. like man you got to look a little bit deeper yeah. there's more there and it's going to be interesting to see if Ryan Garcia and his team, Joe Goosen, great trainer, great boxing mind, if they see that. And I think they do. But, but here's the thing. It's not about information. It's about execution. We can know all the stuff you did in your previous fights, and we can have a game plan and a checklist. But when the pressure is on, when the crowd is roaring, when the lights are the brightest, can I execute that? Can I do it? That's the question. One thing, one advantage that most people think Ryan Garcia has in this fight is hand speed, a little faster hands. Is that potentially going to be a, a tough thing for Davis to deal with? He's going to have to contend with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garcia is faster than Davis, but Davis is quicker than Garcia. Mm-hmm. So in other words, Davis can get to the point of attack quicker than Garcia can. But in a combination, three, four punches, Garcia's going to get those off faster than Davis. And partial, part of that is because Davis is looking to do real serious damage. Um, but Tank's going to have to contend with that. And that's going to be the interesting part early. But, but, but you know, even when Garcia has his moments, what are we all going to be looking for? Mm-hmm. The counter. Right. We're going to see that chin up in the air as he's punching and even maybe landing, and everybody's going to be bracing themselves for the counter. So if they've worked on that, I'm sure he's not fixed it completely, but if they've shored it up 15, 20, 30, that's going to help him. But with a fighter like Javante Davis, you have to be focused for 36 minutes. People don't realize how draining that is, Mm -hmm. how hard that is with the crowd, the lights, the pressure, the fatigue. I got to focus in on this. I can't make a mistake. Can Ryan Garcia do that? Can he do that? That was exactly the question I was going to ask you. Like, it feels that this is going to be a very mentally taxing fight on both sides. And that can create physical exhaustion as well, right? If you've got to maintain that constant focus, not letting it go for a second, uh, maybe every fight's like that. But it feels like this is going to be especially that. And, And Davis has it too. Because what makes him exciting is not just the finish of the punch that's landed. It's the fact that he doesn't mind getting hit to land the punch that everybody wants to see. He'll give you, he'll take that shot. Now he's like, now I'm in the range. Bang, and he'll let his shot go. He knows he can't do that with Ryan Garcia. Or at least do it as much. And he said it. For this fight, I got to have my defense. He knows. Um, So he's got to be focused too. And I love these kind of fights because the first game plan is rarely the one that wins you the fight. These kind of fights, I want to see you go in your bag. Ryan had a good round. He was landing that left hook. He might have hurt you a little bit. What, what adjustments are, are they making in the corner, and can Davis go execute the adjustment? Davis just missed your chin, Ryan. What adjustments are you going to make? That's what the, For me, I don't just look at a big punch landing. That's exciting. But I'm looking at the chess match, and I'm saying, hey, he's got, man. That's what gets me exciting is, is all the ebbs and flows and seeing how far they can reach back and what they can grab. Right. And that, both guys are going to have to do that if they're going to win. So, so bringing it back to your career, as, as we're talking about the sort of mental exhaustion and physical exhaustion paired together, I'm thinking of your fights with Kovalev. Both of those fights, you came on stronger. Do you think he was, like, actually becoming exhausted mentally? And yes, by the, the for sure. The challenge of dealing with you? Yes, no doubt about it. But, you know, I was, I was way ahead on the scorecards before the fight started because I knew a lot about him, but he didn't know a lot about me. Hmm. 
I respected him. He, he, he had a general respect for me. I, I felt that. But he didn't respect me enough to believe that I could beat him. I knew that if I wasn't on point, he could beat me. Um, so I was up from that regard. And then I had done a lot of research about him. I knew how he lived. I knew the mistakes he made. I knew his lifestyle. And I'll just put it this way. It wasn't conducive to an athlete's lifestyle. And I knew that I'm going to squeeze you, meaning I'm going to set a pace and I'm not going to fall as soon as you hit me. And I'm going to take you to deep water. And for him, deep water was right around the fifth or sixth round. And if he could get past that, then we're going to go into deeper water. And I just knew he couldn't mentally and physically withstand that. And that's why you see, you see him, you've seen him kind of fall apart from the second round on. He had some good moments. You know, I'm not saying I just blew him out from the second round on, but he, he couldn't keep pace. He just slowly started to fall behind. That's the psychological stuff. That's the mental stuff. Like, you can see Kovalev thinking, like, what, like he's not following the script. You can see that. Right. That's draining. And that, and that, that, that goes from psychological – to physical the, the script was you were supposed to stay down in round two i think <laughs> and you exactly and you can see when he knocked me down that the skip he had like ah yeah. i knew it <laughs> i got up though right. i got up all right we'll, we'll let you save a few things for the all right all right all right, all right. Make you give it all, all away right. here but i can't wait to see it i'm really excited to see the documentary june 2nd thank you guys andre thanks for coming appreciate on the it podcast. man thank you so much thanks, appreciate brother. it Thanks so much to Andre Ward for that. We really, really enjoyed that. He was absolutely terrific, so generous with his time. Um, and I'm really looking forward now to that documentary that premieres on Showtime on June 2nd. And that wraps up our pre-fight, fight week editions of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thank you to everybody who came on. Uh, so many interviews, uh, just a great atmosphere here in the build-up. We will be back Saturday night after the fight, with our views and opinions and wrap-up of Davis Garcia, the biggest fight of the year so far. Thanks so much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.